As you open your Bibles tonight to Psalm 126 as we return back to the Psalms of Ascent or the Psalm, Songs of Decrees some Bibles have in it. Psalm 126. And as we, we're about to read Psalm 126, uh, Psalm 126 is the seventh of the Psalms of Ascent that we find here in the Bible. And Psalm 126 is about the coming back the Jewish people to the promised land that had been lost to them through the Babylonians. So this is a later psalm uh, after the Babylonian captivity, which we'll look a little bit at tonight. And it, it is a, a song of praise about coming back from that captivity and the background for this psalm uh, can best be found in Ezra, Nehemiah, as well as the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So five Old Testament books cover uh, the return back of the Jews uh, to the Promised Land after the Babylonian captivity. And before we read the Word of God, uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. It is living, it's active, and Lord, may it cut into our hearts tonight. And Lord, help me as your unworthy servant as I read and preach tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Psalm 126, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist states, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of the road back. The road back. Uh, here in Psalm 126, the psalmist is talking about the road back. In these first three verses of Psalm 126, you can just, to me, you can almost feel the joy of the psalmist coming off the page of Holy Scripture. He, he says, uh, when the Lord turned back or brought us back, ended the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. It was like a dream. I mean, it's hard to believe it's happened. We're back. We're back here in the promised land. We, we, it was all lost, but now it's restored. Our mouth was filled with laughter, he states. We were singing, he says. 
And even the heathen, even the other nations, praise God, saying the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. It was like a dream. Now, we got to ask the question, why did they go into captivity? Because I believe that's going to come later on in this psalm. You know, uh, there was a reason why Judah went into captivity, and that was because of sin. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, uh, we read of the last days of the nation of Judah. And in 2 Chronicles 36, <clears throat> beginning in verse 14, we read of these, this terrible time in the, in the history of the people of Judah. Moreover, all the chiefs of the priests and the peoples transgress very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which you had hallowed in Jerusalem. Notice what the writer of Chronicles is here stating that even the priests, the spiritual leaders, they had corrupted the house of God. There was idolatry. They had turned against God. The spiritual leaders had. And in verse 15, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers rising up the times and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. It says the Lord sent messengers, prophets to them, warning them. Why? Because he had compassion on them. You can read a lot of the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah. You can read the, uh, many of the minor prophets, all warning them. But what does it state in verse 16? But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. They mocked his messengers. They mocked his compassion. God brought his wrath. And how did he do this? It states in verse 17, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasure, treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. 
For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. We read here the, the judgment that God brought upon his own people. Jerusalem, upon Judah. They had transgressed. They had turned from the Lord. They followed idols. And God brought his judgment. He even destroyed Solomon's temple. He destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed through the Babylonians. And that whole city was destroyed and they were carried off into captivity, the nation of Judah was. And, and so God brought his justice upon them because of their sin. This is why they went into captivity. And you go to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah chapter 29, just to let you know, it wasn't uh, that there was still a promise even during God's judgment. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. In other words, God says, it's not going to last forever, this judgment is. I'm going to bring you back. And in verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an unexpected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place where I cause you to be carried away captive. Even in judgment, God is declaring mercy uh, that it would not, would not end in just judgment. And here we see in Psalm 126, the Lord brings them back. He restores them back. It was like a dream when they returned. Unreal. When you look at humanity, we're, we're much like Judah was. We can condemn Judah and how that they mocked the prophets and got carried off into captivity. But that's really the history of humanity. Humanity by nature has worshipped the things of this world. You know, it, we, we are all, we were all at one time, you go back to Adam, there was peace and harmony. But what happened in Genesis 3? Everything fell apart. Man rebelled against God. And, and God, uh, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. Paradise lost at the end of Genesis 3. And you can go to Genesis 4. To me, it just shows the continual straying away. And I'm just going to be there for just a second. But one of the most honing scriptures is Genesis 4.16. An unrepentant Cain who had murdered his brother, it says in Genesis 4.16, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Notice it said he went out from the presence of the Lord or he left the presence of the Lord. 
That's a sad statement. And yet that's what humanity is like, my friends. It's not just Judah who's done this. Uh, from Genesis 3 onward, I mean, you go to Genesis 6, 5, where God saw that the wickedness of man was only evil. We don't seem to ever learn. We don't ever seem to learn. Uh, we just continually repeat the same sins. And then, you know, God brought the flood on the world. And then what happened by Genesis 11? Hey, let's build a tower for ourselves to glorify ourselves. God had told them to, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They all wanted to gather in one place. There's a rebellious spirit within humanity. Like Judah, we as a people, as a race, stray from God, continually moving away from God. The good news, though, when you read Ephesians chapter 2, is that God, in all of this, is show, shows great grace. He shows grace to us who have been saved. Genesis 2, verses... I'm not Genesis 2, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul told the Ephesian church, you hath he quickened, that is made alive is what the word quicken means, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you put your name there too. You weren't sick in trespasses and you were dead spiritually. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We're like them, them Judeans, those people in Jerusalem who rebelled against God. We live the, like, like the, the course of this world. Among, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, and times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were children of wrath. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's what you were like. That's what I was like. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's something that we should all remember that we all fell in Adam. God's brought us back to Himself. He brought the Jews back in Psalm 126 to their promised land. For us who are saved, who fell in Adam, He's brought us back into a relationship with God through Christ. You know, I, I think about it. Uh, some of us have been were brought up in church. I mean, we probably didn't have a, maybe didn't live a wild life. You know, you were brought up in church. You were converted at an early age. Uh, and then there's others of us here that I know, you know, you you maybe got saved a little bit later. You, I mean, you went into the land of Nod like Cain. Uh, you 
went in the far country like the prodigal son, and yet the Lord dramatically saved you and brought you to Himself. Here's the thing about it. Whether you were brought up in church and were converted, or whether you had a dramatic conversion, we were all all saved and brought back to Christ. We were all lost without Christ. Whether you look, you can be religious and lost as can be, and there's a lot of people. We were brought back to Him. We fell in Adam, but we've been brought back through Christ. And and look, sometimes as believers, there's a lot of believers who have strayed from the Lord. Maybe you've strayed from the Lord in your life. You may have been like David. You, the lust of the flesh got you know you were saved, but the lust of the flesh just straight you strayed away. Or you were like Lot, and you pitched your tent toward your tent toward Sodom, and the next thing you knew, you were in Sodom itself. And the Lord had to come and drag you out of that city. Uh, God brought you back home. Folks, it's, I thank God that He does not abandon us. That He, you know, whether you, when we were lost and without Christ, he, it was Him who brought us into His kingdom. And even many times, as I stated earlier, even some believers, and we got to always be on guard, we can fall. And we can be go off in the far country but the Lord thank God watches over his elect and will not allow them to stay there we will bring them back and here we see that they rejoiced my friends in what God had done in Psalm 126 in bringing them back into the land of promise but we got a greater land of promise as that song Beulah Land when it was one that's even greater than the one the Israelites were coming back to. Now, the last three verses here in Psalm 126 uh, seem a little bit more drear. It's like it's a change in tone. You know, he says, Turn our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And indicating there's tears and joy here. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I believe the psalmist is pointing to the fact that, yes, God had restored them back. But if you read any of those five books I mentioned, whether it be Nehemiah, Ezra, and the, uh, it was not easy when they came back. I mean, it was a tough time. Though they were brought back to the land of promise, it wouldn't be easy. It reminds me of the American Revolution. You know, at the end, sometimes we get this idealistic view that when America won its independence from Great Britain, that man, it was just everybody was all in harmony. But if you really look at the history of only about what three out of every ten Americans were against the British, and there's three the other three, thirty-three uh, percent fought with the British, and then there's a good many that didn't care. And there was a lot of turmoil. And then by 1812, we had to fight the British again. And then with less than 100 years, the whole country fought a war. The American Civil War almost dissolved the country. It wasn't as easy as we think. Well, it, it just it came to mind when I thought what the psalmist uh, 
was stating here. You know, they came back to the land, but there was going to be a time of grief. And you just read the book of Nehemiah and see the struggles. Uh, there was, I mean, they they had enemies opposing them, uh, and, and there were times of grief still ahead of them. Uh, they were still struggling with sin. You you read in Zechariah chapter one. In Zechariah chapter one, uh, the Lord spoke to him during this time. Says uh, in, in verses two through six in Zechariah one, it says the Lord has been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore saith thou unto them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets had cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways, and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Uh, basically, uh, Zechariah is reminding them, don't go back to doing what your fathers, who died decades ago, who follow these idols, what we read in Chronicles. Don't be like them. And there's a great command here that they, that they were to rebuild that temple. And later they did rebuild that, the temple, what we often call Zerubbabel's temple in Ezra chapter 3. Uh, Ezra chapter 3. And, it, and there's a, such a scene that It'll make you think here when you look at Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Remember, we read about the destruction of the temple in Second Chronicles. And now we're seeing it being rebuilt here in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. It says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks to the Lord because He is good for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of God was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the house of the people, weeping of the people, for the people shouted with loud shout, with a loud shout, and the noise was heard far off. Here the foundations of the new temple were built. And yet, we see here the younger generation here were rejoicing, praising God 
Oh, what a great time it was. Much like we see in Psalm 126. The temple is rebuilt. That had been destroyed. Solomon's temple had been destroyed. Is now being rebuilt with joy. But the older generation, ones that remembered Solomon's temple and saw its glory, they wept. You know, this temple would never be, it, it, it did not have the extravagance of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was at the heart of a thriving city and the glory of God at one time came into it itself, right in the Holy of Holies. That would never happen in this temple. And it was not as extravagant. And I think that when they saw that, they were remembering all that was lost. Remembering Solomon's temple. And there was weeping and joy. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not condemning the older generation here. I think there's a lot of times that happens. You know, you ever hear someone say, you know, maybe they've came, they they got saved, or they strayed from the Lord, and they say, well, I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time. You know, I look back years ago, my 20s, I could have did so much, and I just wasted so many years. I can't go back to doing that. I wish I would not have strayed, or I wish I would got saved at an earlier age. Here's the thing about it, folks. We can't change the past. None of us can. We can wish that, and we can may weep over it at times. There's things that I wish that, boy, I wish I could go back about 20 or 30, maybe 40 years, <laughs> and change some things, dating myself now, and change something. You know what? Man, I was stupid. I was just an idiot. You know, you ever think that about yourself? Dumb me. Man, I was... And I just, you know, it just kind of burns you up. And I, I uh, former, well, he's going to be the Lord now, Brother Dave Sheehan, I was told, told him that, says, that, you know, you kind of wish you could go in a time machine and change things. And he said, we'll probably just go back and make newer mistakes. And that's true. <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, you know, you can look back, and I, I wonder if that's what these priests that were looking back, you were thinking about all that was lost, and that this temple was not going to be as extravagant. But here's the thing about it. We can't change the past, but we can go where the Lord leads us now and serve Him. Uh, you can look at mistakes that you've made and and. And maybe you've, look, you, all of us, look, I, I'm talking to all of us, we've all made mistakes in our life. We've all committed sins in our life that we wish that, that we wish we could change. And here's the thing about it, a lot of times we can get discouraged over that. Our weeping is not just, we can stay weeping. Uh, we can just continue weeping you know i've heard people say you know god you know i've repented but i feel like god is punishing me for things i've done in the past even though i've repented of it and it's years later i'm telling you when you're like that you're like martin luther was when he was in the monastery he just saw an angry god all he he could see an angry god who was punishing but he couldn't see the grace of god don't let the enemy speak that in your heart, folks. 
That's the work of the devil. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the devil trying to discourage you. Look at your sins rather than look at Christ. Tim Keller stated regarding the last two verses of Psalm 126 says, there's two things. There's a few things he said you can see here. Number one, you can waste your sorrows. You can waste your sorrows. In other words, you can... You can just get into a place in your life where you just feel sorry for yourself. Now, I know we've all gone through that. I have, and you have. But you can't stay there. Some people stay there. And, and I've never known anybody get better in their relationship with God who stay in that condition. Because you can get to the point you're not, you're, you're, you don't have your faith in God. You're looking at yourself you can't waste your sorrows, he stated. And he says, joy is produced by sorrow. And the greatest example of that, Keller said, is look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. Look at his life, his ministry. He's called a man of sorrows, isn't he? Yeah. He was a man of sorrows. Look at his life. And there's no verse, I think, that better summarizes it. It's a scripture I often quote, and I love this from Hebrews 12, 2, that I, that's a good one for I, I quote it a lot because I, I need it because throughout the week I need to keep this, uh, uh, you know, as Brother Jimmy was talking about, you know, we were battling ourselves. This is a verse that reminds me to take, you know, you know get your eyes off yourself and, your, and sin, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him, Christ went to the cross through the disgrace of dying on the cross. He knew the joy that was set before him, his resurrection and ascension. And Christ is, look, there's no greater example in, in our life than to follow Jesus. When God helps us restore us, there can be some pain involved. Look, when someone gets saved, it's not, you know, you hear people say, hey, if you get saved, everything in your life's going to get better. Not necessarily. Uh, you tell that to a person in North Korea who converts. It's probably going to go to prison or death. Uh, they're even here in America. I've known people, they get saved and they lose friends over it. They, lose, they have family members who disown them, won't have nothing to do with them. It can be hard, restoration back to the Lord. And when I say restoration, I mean in Adam. You've left Adam's fall and you've came, back, you've came to Christ. And look, some of them will bring your past back. I've known this for people who have, you know, maybe they got saved later in life and man, people will bring back their sins. Lost people will bring back their sins upon them. There will be some weeping and sorrow. But God is with us, knowing that there's going to be a harvest of joy awaiting for us who weep in tears. That's the joy that is set before us, my friends. The road back to the Lord can be filled with sorrow and joy. And one thing that I, I that I that 
the, so great about the Bible is it's not it's nothing that we can do to reconcile us to God. It's Christ who has yeah. reconciled us. And the grace of God, you know, we often say the grace of God is just in the New Testament. Oh, it's in the Old Testament too. Here with Israel, here with Jerusalem, with Judah. There's a song that you, I remember, song, you know, song, you know, Lord, I'm coming home. I strayed away. I, I'm not going to sing the song, but, you know, you've heard it. Yeah, you wandered far away from God. Lord, I'm coming home. And sometimes we do that daily, my friends. Sometimes we wander away from God. Look, it's easy to be, hey, to say praise Jesus and God here in the house of God. But throughout the week, sometimes we're like Judah in Jerusalem. We're not, we're not paying attention to what the Word of God has to say. Maybe you know someone right now. I know I know some people who are far, far away from Christ. And it breaks my heart. There's a, a, a people that I pray for daily. And it breaks my heart, people that I'm close to. And I know that if they were to die right now, that a Christless eternity awaits. And oh, how they, they, have, they have fallen through in Adam. They are lost in Adam. And they just don't know they can be saved. They don't even know they're lost. That's the bad thing about it. But they can be in Christ. And there's others that I know who were once in church and I'm not sure if they're saved or not. But, I, I, but I, I'm filled with sorrow when I think about, Lord, please just convict them. Open their hearts. And we got to pray daily. And get, you know, we got, we got to give, first of all, we got to give God thanks daily. We should always, I, I think when we read Psalm 126 or pray it, we should have in mind how the Lord saved us and brought us to Him and always rejoice and remember that this life is tough. There will be tears. There will be pain. But there's joy awaiting us. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank You for Your amazing grace. Lord, I... I know I don't deserve it, Lord. I'm just... I, it's like a dream that, Lord, sometimes I'm just shocked that, that uh, Lord, that I'm saved at all. But then, as Martin Luther stated, uh, when I look to Christ, I, I, I cannot see how I cannot be saved because He is our Lord Jesus Christ. Is all it is our salvation. And we just thank You for that salvation. It is like a dream, Lord. We were once lost, but we've been brought new into the promised land, the true promised land, through Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who are lost, that we know, Lord, and we just pray that you will open their hearts, bring them to Christ. And for those who may be saved, but Lord, right now they're strayed, or we just don't know where they're at, Lord. Maybe they're, we went to church with them, Lord. Just open their heart, save them, Lord, by your grace if they're not saved. And help us, Lord, to always keep our eyes upon Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. In his name I pray, amen. amen.